Today on Chasing Leviathan, we pursue the big question, how do we age well? My guest is Dr. Vanetta Dotson, founder and president of CerebroFit and professor of psychology and gerontology at Georgia State University. We discuss a holistic, long-term approach to brain health, and I learn the truth about the vitamin industry. So please come have a seat with us and learn to listen with me. This is what we're talking about today. Great book, very practical, um, and very practical for, uh, you know, I'm 33, and I was like, oh, this is stuff that I probably should be doing. But <laughs> uh, how is this? Uh, Keep your wits about you, also clever title. Um, I'm always a fan of, you know, probably because I am a dad and I enjoy kind of the dad jokes, but uh, <laughs> uh, how did this journey uh, of brain maintenance as you age, how, how did you, how did this become important to you? Yeah, I'd love to tell you that story. But first, let me say I'm super excited sure. that you found the book helpful at your age yeah. because that's what I want is for people to know brain health is a lifelong process. You need to start early and not wait until your 70s, 80s. So glad that that came through from the book. Good. Good. As far as my journey. So I knew since I was 13 that I wanted to be a psychologist and at the time, I didn't know the difference between psychiatry and psychology. And so I remember talking to my grandmother, who was a nurse and very familiar with the health professions, who explained the difference. And I said, well, no, I want to help people like change their lives by like what they do and not so much mm. with medication. And so I want to go into psychology. So I went into college as a psychology major. And um, in my junior year, I took a physiological psychology course learned about the brain and completely fell in love. I just thought this is the coolest thing I've ever learned. How does this tiny little organ control everything about who we are and what we do, how we function? I just, it immediately fascinated me and I never looked back. So my professor was a neuropsychologist. At the time I had not even heard of the field of neuropsychology. And so once she talked to me about it, because I went up to her and said, this is so cool. How do I keep doing this forever? <laughs> and yeah. she um, told me about the field. And I said, that's me. That's what I want to do. And that's that started the whole process. Went to grad school studying neuropsychology. Initially, I was focusing my research on understanding the neurobiological basis of depression. So doing a lot of imaging work in people who were depressed versus not understanding mm. how that those brain changes underlie depression. And I spent most of my career doing that. Meanwhile, clinically, I'm working with people who um, were mostly older adults who had concerns about their memory, who wanted to try to avoid or cure dementia. Um, we know there's mm -hmm. no cure, but everyone's always looking for that. Right. And I started thinking, well, I want ways for people to try to stay healthier. I don't want to just understand the negative side of something like depression. Aren't there things that we can do to try to minimize the risk for what I was studying research-wise, depression, and what I was seeing yeah. clinically, dementia. And it turns out, yeah, there are lots of things that can at least minimize those risks. And I really got fascinated with trying to understand that and trying to promote wellness and not just understand disorders. Both are important, but as my career progressed, I started focusing more on that positive side of aging, that you don't have to yeah. be depressed and frail and with dementia. And so that is why I'm here. And that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, no, I, it's interesting because, uh, I think there's a fear component attached to aging. 
And so, like, even as you say that, you know, I, I laugh a little bit because it's 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 so easy for us to look at that uh, aging as like, oh, here are all the terrible things that are going to happen to me mm-hmm. instead of like, what what's a, what is a, a and it's so important to visualize good things, right? Uh, yes. You can create these self actualization, like this like yes. self fulfilling prophecies. Um, so really, really appreciate that kind of mindset. And, uh, that definitely came through in the book. Um, definitely also came through. It's never too late to start, but mm-hmm. also, man, what a difference it makes just to do it early. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, hearing about, uh, proper sleep and, uh, my brain cleaning itself, um, which I have a, a four and a seven year old and we have one coming on the way. So, uh, sleep prioritizing sleep is something that has to be a real priority you have to put a lot of (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yeah that's like i'm like i'm like i am going to sleep right and like (laughs) and it might be interrupted sleep but uh (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to sleep yeah yeah Um, well i have to say actually um when i wrote the book the sleep mm -hmm. chapter is the one where i felt the most guilty for not practicing what I preach. (laughs) And what's funny is that writing the book made me start to focus on my sleep more. So Mm. these are all behaviors that I've done some type of work in or research on in my career, but never quite as much on the sleep part, maybe conveniently, because as a busy (laughs) professor um, and all the different hats that I wear, it's easy to not, just to say, hey, I want to make sure I'm working hard, but I still want to have my life. And fitting all that in is a lot. And so sleep is what would go first. After reading all the things that I did to write that chapter, I said, okay, so I can't keep doing this. I really would like to be able to say definitively that I do all the things I'm telling people to do. So I am now a convert based on my own writing (laughs) (laughs) to sleep more. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things that you look at and there are a lot of components to it. Um, One of the things that, and I think you kind of mentioned this, but you know, your focus is to convince people about brain health, but Generally speaking, if you follow these things, you'll just have a better life, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, if you're a lifelong learner, that's a good thing, right? Like, a, yes. apart from brain health. And so yes. I think that's something that's encouraging, too. It's, this isn't like, um, uh, you know, just like tasks. These are often things that you will literally just feel better and you will have a better quality of life. Um, so... Talk to us a little bit. Um, you kind of, uh, if I understood the book correctly, broke everything down to like three major sections, uh, kind of body, mind, and social. Um, and so uh, if I'm using the correct terms there, uh, can you talk us through a little bit uh, of what you recommend for each of those uh, on a, a broad basis? You know, obviously they should buy the book. If <laughs> I, There's charts, there's all sorts of helpful things. But if you could talk us through that, that little framework that you have. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on the body side, you really think about the things that, like you said, are helpful for quality of life in general um, and other aspects of health, things like exercise, um, things like just taking care of your physical health, whether it be getting treatment for vascular conditions, you know, you have high blood pressure, you have high cholesterol, you have diabetes, those sorts of things. Um, We hear about it all the time for our, again, our just overall physical health. People don't always realize how important it is for brain health. And Mm. anything that's good for brain health is good for mental health. I always say brain health is mental health. It's kind of hard to separate them because, again, there's this brain basis for depression and anxiety and all the things that we call mental. But in reality, they're interconnected. So it's hard to separate, even though we do talk about them somewhat separately. 
Um, exercise in particular is amazing. So again, I had one of those moments where I fell in love. I get very excited about what I do. I get very excited about things that fascinate me. And so that's a good thing. Yeah. Yes, it is. I, I chose the right field for sure. So similar to how I mentioned being an undergrad and taking this class, learning about the brain, I had a similar moment, but actually during my first position as a professor. So Mm. first year as a professor, I'm teaching a class on the cognitive neuroscience of aging. One of my students gives a presentation about some research that he was um, working on in a lab he was volunteering in that was about exercise in the brain in older adults. Up until then, I had never done any exercise work. I actually didn't know about the literature that shows what exercise does to the brain. So as he's presenting about, you know, the background literature for guiding the research they were doing, I'm sitting there like a kid, like at Disney World, excited because I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? Exercise can actually make your brain, your brain, like regenerate some of the things that kind of Mm. go down and decline with aging. You can actually have growth of neurons. You can actually have new um, kind of blood vessels that or vasculature in the brain that develop. How is this possible? It, it, it blew my mind. It really did. And so for me, it was one of those moments where I said, OK, I, I have to know more about this. And I was also really fascinated because a lot of the brain regions that seem to sort of improve with exercise and a lot of the chemicals that change with exercise are also related to depression, which is what I've been mm. studying for most of my career. And so it's like, OK, hold on. Maybe exercise is good for depression, not just because the person is being sort of active, but because their brain is literally changing. It's actually undoing the damage from depression. And similar, as we get older, things that decline as we get older can be reversed to some degree by exercise. So if there's one thing that you could do, if you could only do one thing to um, improve your brain health, I would say exercise. It is the most bang for your buck. It is super powerful. And Mm. um, I find it really, really exciting. So that's a big part of that physical side. The other sort of main thing I talk about in the book is, um, again, that that sort of physical health. It's easy to ignore little signs that things are going um, on physically. We don't like people don't like to go to the doctor. They're trying to avoid lots of appointments. But things really do start to add up. And a lot of times Mm. we don't realize that some of these physical conditions do ultimately affect our brain. You have high blood pressure that's not treated. Then that starts to affect the blood flow in your brain that puts you at risk for dementia. It puts you at risk for depression. And so the physical health and the brain health are so closely connected that we have to maintain our physical health, not just for physical functioning, but for our mental functioning and for our our aging process to go better. So that's just the first part um, in terms of the physical side. There's so much. So jump in if you want to at any point. No, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I... um... I had not read your book. I read uh, Brendan Burkhard's uh, High Performance Habits. Oh, uh-huh. And it's something that people don't aren't familiar with. Um, he, he did a studies on uh, people who are considered high performers in their field. Mm-hmm. And uh, people want to squeeze everything in, so they sleep less, right? Yeah. Um, not, you know, not obviously you're a convert now, so we, we, we're not talking about your checkered <laughs> past. But the, um, <laughs> so when we talk about uh, him... I'm definitely guilty of this, right? It's like, I'll just stay up another hour or two. And there's actually a a clear productivity cost where you're Mm -hmm. literally losing clear focused time where you actually get way more done during the day if you Mm -hmm. sleep more. And so for some people, it's like, well, it's worth the cost of me getting those other hour or two in. And it's like, you would gain back the hour or two if you slept instead. 
And I think that for me was an easy, like I've started to sleep more once I realized I'm like, oh, I'm actually gaining more from it. And I just feel better, which is also good. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is that, um, and thanks for bringing up sleep because that would be the last part of it and would kind of put maybe in a physical category. Sleep is important because you get both immediate and long-term benefits. So like you said, you you feel better when you sleep. We all know that, right? We feel better physically. We feel better mentally, less cranky when we get a good night's sleep. So you, you see that benefit right away, but then also long-term, the part that people don't always see, because they'll think, oh, I'll be okay. Right. I might be a little cranky, but I'm willing to push past it. Yeah, but your brain's not getting what it needs for long-term maintenance. And so that means mm-hmm. that as you get older, you're going to be more at risk for cognitive decline and dementia because you haven't been, over the course of your life, getting the sleep that your brain needed to keep rinsing itself and to keep um, yes. you know um, resetting itself to consolidate memories, which also is an important part of, um, of sleep. So the sleep is a big part. Um, as yes. you said, I have my checkered past, but I'm <laughs> very proud of myself for having moved past it. We all right. have our things to grow with areas of growth. And that was one of mine. <laughs> yeah, <And> no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely was, uh, struggled with that until I'd, I had read that part and at that logic started to stick with me for a lot of things. Right. So, uh, you mentioned exercise. It's the same thing. It's like, well, I don't have time for it today. And this is one that I still struggle with. So, <laughs> so this is my checkered present. The, um, <laughs> uh, but the idea of like you get immediate benefits from doing that mm-hmm. and you get long-term benefits and you will be sharper and more focused. Yes. Um, and so uh, that's something I'm still trying to work in. I home, like when I'm not doing this podcast or helping run the business with my wife, uh, I also homeschool my kids. And oh, so wow. trying to find, <laughs> actually, your book was really encouraging in that because I think what I was looking for were kind of, you know, I'm a, a 33-year-old male. I was looking for like very like masculine workouts, which, you know, mm-hmm. when I talk to guys my age who are not watching their kids, like they go to the gym for an hour or two. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when I saw like the idea of like 150 minutes of aerobic exercise and I'm like, I can take the kids for a walk and mm-hmm. keep walking in place. And yep. I can achieve a lot of, I might not get, you know, be incredibly ripped, but I mean, that's, that's okay. That's part of my lifestyle right now. And right. so that was really encouraging because I didn't know how to fit things, but I could, if I keep that kind of, uh, it was the idea of brain health and long-term health was, was a lower threshold than I thought. And that was encouraging. So I love hearing you say that because I really do think that if people realize that you shouldn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, you know? And so right. you can find right. ways, little pockets of time, little ways of being able to bring more activity into your day. And you're going to benefit from that. You don't need to spend an hour or two at the gym every day. Actually, at some point that might become counterproductive. There is such yeah, thing yeah, as overtraining, right. you know? Um, but, and I love the idea of also doing something that's involving your kids. One of the things that I've been trying to promote for um, the, you know, the patients that I see and then people who I come in contact with is this idea of sort of intergenerational exercise is what I call it. I don't know if someone else calls it that, but I do. Um, because I think I like that it. when it comes to people, you know, your age, people who have kids, do something active with your kids, play with the kids outside, yeah. take them for a walk, do something. And they're getting exercise they need because, again, brain health is a lifelong process. And then you're getting exercise that you need. And then similarly, people who are having older parents who are maybe starting to decline, who are worried about it, then finding ways to work out with the parents is also helpful. Yeah. So I feel like at every sort of stage, have, making that 
having the integration of that family social activity with the exercise is a really great way of getting more bang for your buck. And I think I may have given that same example in the book that, you know, if you can combine brain healthy behaviors, that's yes. fantastic. And, um, and so that kind of transitions to the, one of the other areas that you mentioned, which I talk about a lot is the social connection and how mm. huge that is. And I feel like the social connection is probably the brain healthy behavior that most of, most of us want to do. <laughs> so a lot of people don't want to exercise. They do it grudgingly. But most people, at least to some degree, want to have social connections. Obviously, we all vary in how much we want them, in what format we want them. But most of us don't want to be fully alone all the time. Um, and the research shows that when we are, that has a lot of detrimental effects, not just on your right. immediate mood, but on your long-term health, physical health, as well as brain health. And um, as I mentioned in the book, the pandemic was such a, a Ooh, poignant yeah. illustration of that. I mean, I just, I don't know about you, but I was miserable for, for a while there. I love people. I'm obviously not shy. I'm, I'm a chatterbox all the time. Um, I want to be around people. I want to talk. I want to hear what they're saying. I want to just like, you know, be around people all the time. So having that isolation was just torture for me. And even though, you know, my husband and I, we had what we call our COVID crew, you know, I think most people had yeah. a couple of people they put in the little circle, like, we're going to still hang out. We're just going to all be careful, right, but right. we can't not see anyone. And yes. thank God for them because that helped. Um, but it still felt like, okay, but what about going to work and water cooler talk and seeing, you know, my students who I'm mentoring in person? I had yeah. grad students who, you know, I had one year of working with them before the pandemic and then two years of not seeing them at all. That's really right. strange when you have grad students in your lab who you normally have a close mentoring relationship with. You see them every day. And I can also see how it impacts them not having that sort of regular contact with their lab mates and with me. So that's the negative side. Obviously, we saw the detrimental effects. The positive thing yeah. is when you stay socially connected, that's great for your brain. And part of the reason why is because it, it's keeping you mentally active, which is overlapping with one of the other brain healthy activities. When we talk to people, we're obviously, hope, well, hopefully we're listening. <laughs> we're remembering <laughs> what they're saying. We're, right. we're incorporating what they say into things that we've heard before or into our own experiences. It's a very cognitively heavy activity to be social. Mm. And so that means that you're kind of keeping your brain going by being around people because it's not passive. Um, again, you could just sit there and say nothing, but most of us only use comfortable silences sparingly and not the whole time. So for the most part, you're going to be interacting in a way that's keeping, you know, the juices flowing, if you will, in your brain. So the social activity is really important. Mm. Um, and again, I think it can be pretty much all the other healthy behaviors for the most part that I talk about can be combined with social activity in some sort of way. So you work out with a partner, you go to a group exercise class. You take right. a cooking class with other people, you cook with your family. All these things that we talk about end up being, um, could have a social component if we try to make it have that component. Yeah, and I think uh, there are a couple things that come out of this um, uh, that you'd mentioned in your book. One that's really funny is that after I'm, I'm done here today, I'm actually going to go to the pool. Um, when you talk about intergenerational working out, uh, we actually live in a multi-generational house. So my parents live in an apartment attached to our house. And so my mom is going to go to the pool with us and the kids. Oh, and so wonderful. that's, yeah, so it's just really fun. But that's also like a great example. And I have found, uh, and I, this goes with the social and the exercise, you know, exercising with your kids. And 
what I have found to be problematic. Um, it's uh, the way you don't engage in, the, in those activities. And it's really easy, and it's such an easy temptation, especially if you're tired, mm-hmm. is to be on your phone, which just completely destroys. Like, I mean, you do see social circles die with everyone just going to their phone. Oh, and then yeah. you lo- like, you're not getting any benefits from that, right? And right. it's the same thing. Like, you're like, when you go out with your kids, just play with them right? You're going to accomplish so many good things at once. You're really not going to, like, if you're on your phone, you're probably looking at social and it's not, that is not going to increase your your brain health. No, it's not. (laughs) When I talk about social activity, I do not mean social media. Um, (laughs) I am on social media, but I limit it. And I have to say, I feel like um, someone much older than I am when I start talking about all the ills that come with social media. And yeah, how yeah, yeah. <laughs> I miss the old days when people didn't like sit on their phone all the time. You know, I'd go out to eat with my husband and we'll look around and at most tables, people are sitting there on their phone while they're sitting at dinner with someone else. And I'm thinking, yeah. well, why, why are you there? Like you can just yeah. go by yourself. <laughs> and it's like, I don't understand substituting real contact mm. So yeah. anyway, let me stop. It's one of it's one of my pet peeves that I always feel like, man, yeah, I, I, feel like I feel like my grandmother or something being like, what's wrong with the world these days? But I do well, feel there like are there's studies some, like, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so we lose something when we don't have that more direct communication, not saying that social yeah. media is a bad thing. Again, it's actually wonderful in a lot of ways. And there right. are some studies that show even with older adults that, um, because older adults are less likely to kind of get obsessed. <laughs> they don't do the doom scrolling. They're not doing um, all the other sort of online bullying. So they get a, can get a positive mm. boost from, you know, being able to be on social media and seeing pictures of the grandkids and feeling like they're getting a chance to, you know, um, reunite with people they haven't seen in decades. So there's positives that can be there when it's used the right way. But obviously yes. we're very aware of some of the negatives too. So Right. I'm not trying to say get off social media. I'm saying yeah. don't stick to that. And when you're with <laughs> a real person, just be with them. <laughs> you know, right, don't be right. with one person. And then meanwhile, looking at pictures of someone else the whole time. Like that's kind of jumping yeah. everybody. Uh, and then something else you said. Um, I actually loved COVID lockdown. But that's... <laughs> I, and so I was actually really encouraged because I was like, yes, I should spend more time with other people. And then you had this wonderful paragraph for me that was... But you don't need to force it. You want to achieve a social circle and uh, the the level that you feel comfortable with. And there yes. is, of course, you want to be careful because there are cycles where you don't feel comfortable with people because of anxiety mm-hmm. or depression, and you yes. don't want to feed that. But there are definitely, like, my dad is, um, whatever the level of extroversion, you know, whatever the, the scale is, whether it's 10 or 100, he's definitely to the max, right? And, yeah. like, he goes out, he has a great time, that's... And for me, um, if I sit and I talk with one person, that's why I do this. Um, <laughs> I have like, this is great, right? Like 10, 12 people. I'm like, I'm watching too many faces. I'm getting like, it's just overloaded, you know? Yeah. And so I had a COVID crew, but that was that I, you know, that idea of a couple people that we all just saw each other. And that was, uh, that was important to have that, right? Mm-hmm. And to have, mm-hmm. like, I still need to see people, but uh, I think... For people, to, it's important for people to take away. You want, um, it doesn't always have to be wide, but you certainly need deep connection, right? Right, exactly. Um, 
It's um, it's so quality, not quantity. Yes, I'm glad yes. That, that was helpful for you. And actually, in that section, I talked about, I didn't use her name, but one of my best friends in the world, who I was actually just talking to earlier today, she's the person who I said, um, she was actually happy. She's like, oh, one of the good things about COVID is I don't have to see so many people. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's funny because as close as we are, and we're very similar in a lot of ways, she's just like, yes. yeah, I'm good. Like seeing people <laughs> a couple times a month, normally not too yep. many people. Whereas I'm like, more people, where are you? <laughs> come around yeah. me so for her it's like oh god i get a break from people because of the pandemic and i'm like crying like i need more people <laughs> so it's all about what we want it's the disconnection between the social activity mm. you want and what you have when there's a disconnect mm. that's when we have problems and so yeah. if you have one or two close people and you're happy with it then you're probably good it's unlikely you're going to have any issues from a brain health standpoint but when you're like i was during the pandemic and that goes on for long periods of time you can start to have negative effects if you don't do something about it so i'm not being alarmist i'm not saying that all of us are going to be like ruined forever because we had a few oh, right, months right. where we probably but i'm just saying that that's the kind of thing you want to avoid long term having mm. that disconnect you want to find ways to be creative and have that contact still and i love what you said earlier about um you don't don't let the perfect become the enemy of the good uh it's a it's a great saying here like uh you're gonna have times where you're, you have social disconnect and you don't have to like force it right that mm -hmm. can get kind of awkward it's like hey for my brain health will you be my friend probably not <laughs> you know I what i mean that. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but um you know finding ways to incorporate things um and you know even as we talk a little bit about the the learning side of it which is uh you mentioned is is pretty important uh and so do, i i should have looked and seen how you wrote it is it is it mind is it mental uh when you talk about you, you have body and social, what is that third category for learning? Um, it's all about one. It's all about small steps, right? And you, you yes. mentioned that. But yes. what is that third category you kind of you kind of talk about? What is the um, term you like to use? Um, it depends on the day. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yes, but I guess I would I would lump sort of mental health, mental or mental health um, to encompass two things. One is the hmm. idea of that cognitive engagement that I mentioned a little bit before. So kind of saying mentally active. Um, using your mind, like you don't want to only do passive activities. You, you know, you don't want to keep doing the same things mentally over and over again. So the example I always give is that, you know, I work with a lot of older adults and they'll say, well, I've been doing Sudoku puzzles. And so should I keep doing more of it? And I'm like, well, if you've been doing it for a while, then probably should go on something else because at some point that's not challenging anymore. Um, you want to use your brain in different ways. You want to keep your mind stimulated in different ways. And it doesn't have to just be puzzles, even though puzzles do seem to have a positive effect. It can be what I just did. I went on a vacation. And yes, it is true that I spent some of that time being sedentary on the beach. I also went and like learned about the culture. And I walked around and like, you know, I got to see dolphins and I got to do other things that were different. So you're I'm I'm thinking about and learning new things. Whenever I go to mm. a new um, new country, a new place, I want to learn a little bit about that region. So I learned some new information. That's good for my brain, you know, when yeah. I go to a museum or I go or if I do my artwork, that I like to sometimes do. I haven't done as much as I should or as I'd like to. because It's one of those <laughs> hobbies that I let kind of fall back a little bit. Those are all things that I'm using my brain in a different way. So, again, mm. this is something that can be fun. It doesn't have to be I'm going to do a puzzle or I'm going to learn a new academic kind of topic, which I like that because I'm nerdy, but not everyone does. Anything right, right, right. that uses your brain in a different way, anytime you learn something new, anytime you do something challenging, that is stimulating your mind. 
And that is amazing for your brain. So that's one side is that mental activity. The other side is mental health. And so that's going to be focusing a bit more on things like depression and anxiety, um, all of these psychological symptoms that mm-hmm. most of us are going to experience some of them at some point in our life. Doesn't mean we necessarily are at the level of needing to go see a therapist or needing a medication, but we know what it's like to feel a lot of the symptoms that for some people can can progress to the point where they do need some intervention. And that stigma that keeps a lot of people from wanting to go in and get help is really, um, to say the least, unfortunate because Mm. it keeps people from living their life to the fullest if they just accept that this is their lot in life or if they feel like it's a sign of weakness to go and get help. One of the things that I'm constantly talking about when I do community talks is it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to need help. Um, You should think about mental health conditions like you do other health conditions. If you have diabetes, that's a chronic condition that you're going to need to regularly do things to prevent issues, to um, get active treatment if you have, you know, a particularly bad time. And think about something like depression. It's the same thing. A lot of people who have depression, it's recurrent. They have to do things actively to try to minimize those um, recurrences. When they do have a recurrence, they need to do things to get that treatment. And it shouldn't be seen any differently than going and getting help for high cholesterol or for diabetes or for any other medical condition that we might have. So that's the Mm. other side of the kind of mental um, kind of category. Yes. And, you know, it's funny, even as you mentioned this, um, you talked about people trying to avoid going to the doctor more, that kind of thing. One thing, um, and I think you even touch on this in the book, is that uh, because of the insurance situation in America, uh, you often have like, is mental health covered? Um, and people just saying, well, my rates might go up if I go in. Like they don't like it's this big, complicated bog that they have to navigate And so there's this added financial and paperwork pressure, which, to be honest, I should be worried about the financial, but my personality is more worried about the paperwork. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's like there's like you like, and I'm like, I don't I don't you know, they're like you have to it's it's no good. But the um, and so that's that's a big part of this as well. And uh, so I. Uh, as you're talking about, um, you know, doing Sudoku as an example, but uh, I was thinking about uh, chess because my son saw a chess board at the library and wanted to play. So I, I taught him and I hadn't played in years. Um, you know, you said you talked about switching when it's no longer a challenge. What about things? And I think this is even possible with Sudoku, but not as much as something like chess. Uh, do you still get those benefits with things uh, that have levels of achievement. Mm-hmm. And so if you can keep pushing, cause obviously chess, like you can like that, you can keep pushing your brain in that, mm-hmm. or do you really not receive much more benefit if you keep, if you're still pushing in that one area? Yeah, that's a really good question. As long as you're getting a challenge, you're getting some benefit. The question is how much benefit. And so the example I like to give is think about if you're, um, lifting weights, right. Or if you're exercising, And so you can lift weights and you can keep getting bulkier and bulkier, (laughs) you know, if you keep adding more and more kind of um, weight onto your, you know, barbells or dumbbells or whatever you're doing. And that's fine. You know, you're getting some benefit. But at some point, what's happening in your body in terms of the chemical changes and the physiological changes, there's a point of diminishing returns where you're not getting as much. 
And so it'd be better if you added in some yoga or added in some cardio or something else to sort of mix it up. So you're getting, you, you can keep getting some benefits, but there's a point where there's a limit. Um, yeah. And so it's better to mix it up. So for something, um, but every activity is different, right? So even though I don't play chess, I do understand that there's like so many ways that you can play chess and so many levels of difficulty. That's going to truly keep being challenging in a way that yes. is likely going to still be beneficial. Whereas unless there's versions of Sudoku I've never heard of, there's only be so, <laughs> there's only so much you can do with those right, boxes right, right. and those numbers. Yeah. And so um, just to use those two examples. And so yeah. my thing is always um, no mental activity is bad. The issue is where do you want to put most of your time? So sure, sure um, you know, beef up the difficulty level. You might get a little bit out of it, but hey, life is short. Like enjoy some more things. Like that variety is really good. And yeah. also, you know, you're kind of like how I mentioned with the weight, with weightlifting, you're using the same muscle and over, over, over and over again, even if it's more challenging. So why not use the muscles in a different way or why not, you know, um, uh, use different kinds of muscles or different parts of the body? So Variety is good. Variety is definitely the spice of life. It's all these little cheesy things that actually apply to brain health. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and so I would say, yeah, ch challenge yourself within the same thing if you really enjoy it, but also try adding on something else just to have that variety that's even more beneficial. I was stunned by how much of this I already knew, and also stunned by how little of it I actually followed. <laughs> <laughs> So it's so, like, these are all truisms. <laughs> Everything you're saying is like, it's like, yeah, we know that. But then we're like, do you do it? Like, no. no. <laughs> it's so funny that you said that. And I actually love the way you said that because I have, so, you know, as a first time author, at least for a book, you know, I write lots of scientific journals, but that uh, journal mm -hmm. articles, but that's different. Um, I can't help but like once a week, like Google my book or myself and see if there's like another review <laughs> that someone's put on one of the websites. And so there aren't that many, but one of the one of the people made a comment like, well, these things are already kind of new, but I like the way it's presented. And so at yeah. first when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's kind of annoying. And they're just saying that this isn't anything new. But I thought, well, no, but that's the whole point is that people still aren't doing it. So yeah. repackaging it or emphasizing a different benefit of those things is still helpful. And so now I've sort of reframed that as like, yeah, I'm telling people what's kind of common sense or what they already know, but in a way that hopefully is motivating because they're seeing a different kind of benefit. Mm. One of the things that I notice a lot, people are really petrified of having Alzheimer's disease. And I, I think I mentioned one of the surveys or a couple surveys about that in the book. And that fear, even though we don't always want to be driven by fear in life, there is something to be said for, hey, what can I do to not be in this position? A lot of people who I work with are people in their 50s who are like my mother, my father, my aunt, my uncle. I see what's happening to them. What do I yeah. do? Because I know I might have a genetic risk. I see what it looks like. Please help me. <laughs> like they're that yeah. that that age group, probably around 45 to 60 is like my age group that people want to um, the, uh, in terms of the target audience that I think I can reach the most because they're the ones who are saying, yeah. I'm seeing it firsthand. I don't want yes. to be there. What can I do? And so I think that there's a lot of um, inf information that's helpful for that group. But like I said, I also think that people younger than that um, can also benefit from saying like, well, let me not wait until I'm at yeah. that point. I can, I can learn early and est start establishing habits now because habits take a long time to set. It's yes. not like you're going to read it and then be like, okay, well, tomorrow I got it all done. 
it, it's going to take years to like make things a habit. So the earlier you start, the more it can become something that's just like second nature, the older that you get. And if you have decades, uh, and maybe I misunderstood this in the book, but if you have decades of good practice in, that's better than not <laughs> than like that starting when like if I if someone starts at 50 and someone starts at 30 that there will be like generally some help from those 20 years absolutely absolutely okay yes okay. <laughs> you did not misunderstand right. very good yes uh, and I'm looking at this and uh and I think that's to state even stronger what you're saying um what you have here it's very concise for what it provides and it's very comprehensive. And I think like these are all things that I'd heard for the most part. Some of them were new, but most of it was things I'd heard before. But it felt I'd never seen it all together in one place. And it didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't have such a, a complete plan of like, here's what uh, whole health feels like for me. Because honestly, this isn't, I mean, this is about brain health, but it really, if you follow this, like it covers pretty much all health in mm -hmm. your, for your life. And I was looking at this on, you know, with the charts and everything. And just the, all the advice and the, the science backing it up, which I do want to ask about that. But the just looking at it and I was like, oh, this is so helpful. And so, you know, for people saying, oh, I know a lot of this stuff. It's really helpful to have one place where you're like you can reference and build a plan out. And even just that framework of like, uh, you know, body, mental and social is just really, really helpful. So one, thank you for that. Um, and so kind of approaching that scientific study of it. Uh, I, from what I understand, you do have your own business too? Yes, that kind of touch, Serofit, uh, am I saying Cerebrofit. that right? Cerebrofit. Yes. And so I did want to ask you, because this comes up about supplements, <laughs> and yeah. uh, what are the ethics uh, surrounding selling to this, uh, to this market, right? Because one of the things you mentioned in the book is there's almost no clinical data worth mentioning mm -hmm. um, that supports the use of like vitamins and supplements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I feel like anything, anything that I'm going to offer um, and have people pay for, I'm not going to do it unless there's sound research to support it. And I'm really transparent about the quality of the research um, so this actually related to supplements because I came up in the nutrition chapter. Um, I, I give myself a little ding for not having brought up nutrition when we were talking about the body because somehow I missed that. I got too excited about exercise and didn't go into nutrition. But well, you, you know, just we... have to read. That's right. For, for those listening, you need to read the book. That, exactly. So that's the, that's the teaser. I can't give the whole thing away, right? Um, right, right. <laughs> but so, for example, um, in the nutrition chapter, I start off talking about the limits of nutrition research. And not because I'm trying to knock nutrition researchers at all. It's very important. But there's a limit to what we can do when we can't control what someone puts in their body for long periods of time. It's just not possible. Animal research, we can do it. But animal research does not 100% translate to humans. And so what we know about nutrition comes from multiple lines of study that all have limitations. But we look for consistency in what they point to. And so that's an example of saying, hey, I'm not going to claim that the level, the quality of the research in this area is the same as the others, but I'm still going to tell you, here's what I'm taking from my mm -hmm. own expert opinion from reading this work. Um, and I put it out there for people to say, take it or leave it. I'm not, I'm not going to try to fool you. I'm not going to try to trick you. Um, I have a big pet peeve about people who make 
grandiose claims about what they can do or what they can offer. And I'm not trying to offer a miracle cure. I'm saying I'm going to um, offer you hope that if you work, you can reduce your risk, not eliminate it, not get rid of it, not boost your memory in 14 days, <laughs> you know, not <laughs> not reverse 10 years of aging. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that your odds are going to be better, but you're going to age right. better if you do these things and you're going to feel better in the short term. Yeah. The only thing I can say more confidently is like, I think that if you do this, you're going to feel better, like immediately more in the short right, term. Right, that right. part I feel more confident about because I think we all know anecdotally. But other than that, I talk about what's, I use my words carefully, like, you know, a reduction of risk, not elimination of risk. I talk about, you know, making um, small steps or improvements, not about like reversing something. And so for me, that's ethically what I have to do. I, I don't want to mislead people. I lose my credibility and ultimately my my training and probably 80% of what I do is, is research. It's, it's science. I'm a scientist and I'm critical of everyone's research, including my own. <laughs> I know I know that even when studies aren't perfect, they can be helpful, but I'm going to be very, very clear that there's a scientific basis of what I do. So much so that even though I'm a scientist myself for my for my business for Cerebral Fit, I have a scientific advisory board. Because I want scientists outside of me to be looking right. at what I'm doing, evaluating what I'm doing, giving me feedback. They're a wonderful group of researchers. And we actually had our board meetings a few weeks ago and they were so helpful. But I also left feeling like, oh, man, they're giving me more work to do because they're pointing out some things <laughs> I need to like, you know, need to like look into or add. But that's what you want. You want to be kept on your toes. And mm-hmm. to me, I feel like that's that's me bringing ethics into what I do, into my business. I have the same mindset with writing the book that I'm not trying to get over on anyone because I want them to have realistic hope and take action steps that make sense and that are not just based on trying to make money. Yeah. Which, so um, when you talk about to our listeners, be skeptical of big grandiose claims. If it sounds too good to be true, it most likely is, right? Yep. It's like... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so I actually just finished a book. It's funny that you mentioned this, uh, How to Lie with uh, Statistics. Um, really small little book, and it's so good. Yeah. And it's just... He just goes through all the different types of marketing and political campaigning. That And this is from the 40s, so some of the examples are hilarious when you compare them to today. But he, he as he goes through it, you just realize how easy it is to just twist... What like if someone gives you a hard number, it feels so certain, yeah. and it means it, it's like it's so hard for it to mean anything, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, like, yeah. especially without context. When you just see it, it's like thirty three percent of people were happier, you know. After and it's just like yeah, uh, you'll be like thirty three point nine percent. It's like that's very oddly specific, you know. What I mean? It's like <laughs> and so all these different things. So um. That's really good. Yeah, you mentioned supplements in the book. And then another one was uh, brain games, which I think mm-hmm. falls prey in a lot of ways to like if you do Sudoku, if you do the brain games, they probably work for a little bit. But the brain games have generally the ones that I've seen have very grandiose claims and very yes. like scientific backing. And they have like one study. And exactly. you're like, what is the quality of that study? Right. Um, and when it comes to brain games, um, at least for brain games compared to supplements, since you're not putting anything in your body, the risk of harm yeah. is is not so much there. It's more that you might be wasting your money. Whereas for supplements, you could literally be doing something damaging to yourself. And that's what worries me even more so. With the brain games. Because they're not I, FDA 
sorry, I, I just want, uh-huh. yeah, could you touch on why that's dangerous? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yes, of course. Um, so supplements are not regulated by the FDA. And so that means that there's no quality check. There's no um, 100% assurance of what ingredients are actually in there. And I was disturbed when I found the study that I mentioned in the chapter that talked about how there was this sort of independent examination of, you know, I think it was dozens of different supplements and then realizing that there were many ingredients that were not listed on the bottle, some of which can actually be really, really harmful. I mean, it was just, I was astounded when I read that and disheartened that that kind of thing still happens. I don't know why I keep thinking people are going to be like, I don't know, ethical and fair. <laughs> and they're, they're not. I need to learn that. But I keep on, yeah. I'm too Pollyanna, I guess. So that's the concern is that you don't necessarily yeah. know what you're putting in your body. And that doesn't mean that you can't take omega-3s or something like that, right? There are some companies that we know are like, you know, good, established, like reputable companies. It's more when they have these like concoctions that are a mixture of different things. And they say, this is like the combination of, I don't know, I can't, actually, I don't want to give examples. I don't want to give examples, but I'm not going to try to get in trouble. I'm just saying that there, people will have because this required the, the, here. It's still, it's still in litigation, right? Some of these. Some of these are still in litigation, yes, I exactly. Saw, I was like, yeah. yeah. I just want to say how, like, I mean, just for me, like, the study was disheartening. But I didn't know that supplements weren't FDA regulated. Oh, that, to yeah. myself, I was like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, yeah. That's... Anyways, please continue. Yeah, so you have to be careful with that. And um, yeah, so I just think that I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit, but... Um, oh, apologies. Oh, yeah, no worries at all. I, I go off because these things I get really passionate about. But I think just overall, oh, yeah, I was saying that these the supplements have kind of combined different ingredients that will say, okay, this combination is like what's going to make your memory better or going to keep you from getting dementia. And there's always a grain of science behind it, meaning... For example, you know, there are certain, we know that omega-3s can have, seem to be associated with better memory. We know that the Mediterranean-style diet is the healthiest diet for our heart health and for our brain health. And some of the components in it, such as eating a lot of fish, we think might be because of omega-3s. That doesn't mean that if you just keep taking a bunch of omega-3s, that there you go, you got your magic cure, like you're never going to get dementia. No, it means that having a balanced diet that includes certain nutrients can be really, really helpful. But that doesn't mean that if you just get a pill that includes, let's say, five nutrients that have been shown to be, you know, associated with better brain health, that you just pop that pill and you're good. And that's the concern is that it's not regulated and it kind of overly simplifies things. We Mm. process nutrients differently when we get it in our food versus in a pill form. And we also cannot um, assume that every single body processes things the same way. I don't want to get into this too, too much because it's not my main area. Some of this comes from my husband, actually, who, who does oh, really? research on um, gustation and taste and smell and um, things that have to do with the body's absorption of nutrients. So um, I've learned a bit That's from awesome. him. Um, yes, it's a um, nice uh, combination of uh, brain brain um, focus in a different way, sort of way and health focus. But, um, but yeah, so I just think it becomes too simple if we just say, oh, the pill's the easy answer. I'm going to go eat my Big Mac and, you know, my cheesecake and nothing else but take the supplement and I'm good. It's like, well, not so much. Doesn't mean you can't ever have that cheesecake or Big Mac. I'm saying I'm saying that you can't ignore your dietary patterns and just take a supplement that's going to fix it all. We want instead for our diets to be, you know, balanced, having more of the things that are good, less of the things that are bad. Doesn't mean you're going to be overly restrictive. There are some people who I think try to go too far 
was saying mm-hmm. that you can't have certain things, that there's either the superfoods that you have to eat all the time and then the foods that are like the enemy that you have to avoid. And in reality, it's a balance, right? Have less of that. I ate dessert every day for four days on vacation because I wanted to. <laughs> that doesn't mean I go around all the time eating a bunch of desserts. It means that I was on vacation. And so yeah. I did that. And then I came back and I made myself some grilled chicken and a salad because I wanted to go back to having <laughs> that balance. So um, I, I think that people are more likely to stick with healthy eating habits when there's they're not being overly restrictive but they're emphasizing the things that are healthier you know whole grains and leafy greens and you know fish and all the things that i think are wonderful um as i mentioned in the book i love the mediterranean style diet so it's like yes score one for me i have an easy way of having a healthy (laughs) brain because i could eat this every single day of my life um but that doesn't mean that it's you know it's going to be the end of the world if you decide that you want to have you know something that's fried or that's you know it's right, overall right. something you don't want to eat constantly but being too restrictive is is not helpful yeah absolutely um kind of as we start to uh, wrap up here uh, i wanted to ask you about people's motivations mm-hmm. uh, as a psychologist you're looking at people you're trying to get them to change we've talked a little bit about what we want to change but i think like the the big question of like how do people deal with the prospect of aging because something we all like you're either aging or you're dead, right? Like, I mean, not to be too blunt, but that's the yeah, New Englander coming out, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like, uh, it's one or the There's, other. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, people's response to that, you know, uh, their fear of Alzheimer's, that sort of thing. Uh, what motivations do you see? Um, uh, if you could just talk about people's motivations in general, because for me, I have a, a couple questions here about what makes people stick to good habits and what makes people quit? And one of the ones that's really interesting to me is what makes people not even start, you know? Uh, and so I, I think uh, kind of as we wrap up here, I think that's a, a really just a fascinating uh, thing to look at. So you're wrapping up with questions that are like way too big for me to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did give us a little extra time, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I mean, those, that's the key to health, right? Like how do you get people to be motivated mm. to change their health behaviors, to stick to it. Um, all of that is, there's a whole like area of psychology that is focused on trying to understand this. And I think it's challenging because it's not a simple answer. We do mm. know, of course we have some, some clues, but I'm just saying that each person is so different. There's so many personality characteristics, life circumstances, et cetera, that interact with all of this in a way that makes it um, not one answer for everyone. It is certainly the case that um, on the side of like, okay, you think about, okay, first of all, how do you get motivated to even want to change? What makes you say, okay, I have a plan now. I want to, let's pick exercise. I have a plan. I want to start exercising more. That's like one, one goal. So first, let me say part of the problem sometimes with motivation is that people take on too much. They say, I read Vanetta's book. I want to have a brain healthy lifestyle. So I have seven new behaviors that I'm going to do. No, 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 no. Don't do that. (laughs) Please don't read my book and decide that you're going to like take everything on at one time because then you're going to hate me and you're going to say that my book was not helpful and you're going to tell everyone that it's not possible to do what I said. No, you pick one thing, (laughs) maybe two, but most likely one thing and you say, okay, what's my first step in that direction? So first of all, people sometimes don't get motivated because they feel overwhelmed. Because there's too much we're trying to do at one time, it seems too big. 
And so trying to hone in on something that's achievable and small and focusing on taking incremental steps is a big part of getting past that hurdle of being overwhelmed and that being part of the lack of motivation. There are people where lack of motivation has to do with um, more psychological symptoms. You know, we have a big part of things like depression is this feeling of um, sort of apathy and lack of motivation that you just don't feel like doing anything because it feels like, what's the point? You know, you don't have energy. It just, there's just no oomph there. There's no, there's no drive um, in general for, for life. Even things that normally would be enjoyable, you don't want to do. So much less something that you're being told that you should do. Um, right. It's not going to be something you're motivated to do. So there's lots of different, and then just being busy. <laughs> being People are like, okay, sure, it would be great, but I just don't have the capacity. I, I'm spent. I have nothing left. So those are examples of things that can keep people from having that initial motivation. But then once we get, once that first step is taken and you get started, sticking with it is also really hard because of life. I mean, that's why I would say because life, (laughs) life happens, life happens, you know, um, you know, you get sick, you have the kids have something going on and you go on vacation and things get thrown off. You know, you have work stress, you, you go through something, a death, a divorce, a marriage, any good and bad life happens. And when life happens, all those plans are hard to stick to. And I think mm-hmm. what happens, people get defeated because they're saying, OK, well, I messed up and forget it. Like, I don't what's the point of starting again? Because yeah. it feels like you're setting yourself up for failure. And that's why, you know, I end the book talking so much about kind of how to get started and stick to it. And part of it's just like, be kind to yourself, you know, be forgiving, give yourself grace. Because life is not one of those things where we snap our fingers, you know, in the movie. So when it's like the sudden realization and then everything changes and <laughs> the, the whole world is, is changed, their whole life has changed. That is not how it goes. What happens is we're like, OK, I get it now. I clicked. Let me start. First two days are great. Third day. OK, never mind. That didn't work. <laughs> Fourth day, maybe you're back on a little bit. You're up and down. And so I think accepting that, accepting that there's going to be some days that are good, some days that are bad. I wake up in the morning. I'm like. I should not have done that yesterday. I should not have eaten that. Whatever it is. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do today? I, I'm never, yeah. I, I will sit and reflect on, well, okay, I had this plan. I love working out. So normally that's not a hard thing, but there's sometimes where I'm like, that day got really busy. I never got my workout in. I'm so annoyed I didn't get my workout in. But I don't sit there and beat myself up. I say, well, that's too bad. Okay, today, how am I going to make sure that doesn't happen again, that that time doesn't mm. get pushed out? And so it's, it's feeling that get up, get up and start over again. And, um, you know, in the, since you wrote the book, you know, I'm obsessed with Maya Angelou. And so I have multiple quotes yes. from her in the book. <laughs> and yeah. I love the quote in that, that I put in, the, in that last chapter because I, yes. I believe in um, starting over every day and, and letting ourselves have that ability to not feel like we, I messed up before and I can't keep going. So let me stop there. And that's a lot. But those are yeah. some thoughts about that motivation question. No, it's great. Is it invent yourself daily or yes. everyone should be able to invent? Yes, yeah. yes. each and of us has that, that was... right to invent themselves daily. I love that. Yes. Yeah, no, I and I, I did too. And I thought that was a great way to end. And, uh, you know, one, I want to say thank you so much for, for coming today. Uh, just kind of as we close out here, what is something that you would leave? You know, one thing you mentioned was that if there was one habit you would tell people to start with, it's exercise, yes. right? Um, and so like, that's like a a takeaway, right? Like, so don't start with seven, start with just like maybe taking a walk today, you know, something like that. But, um, or what would, whatever exercise you'd recommend. Um, but, uh, what would you leave, uh, 
with our, uh, to our listeners? Um, I think I would leave with the idea of live your life, meaning live it. Don't yeah. let it just pass by. If you live every day, meaning that you're doing things, that you're active, that you're engaged, you know, seize, seize the day, you know, take life yeah. by the horns. That's what you want to do. If you live and truly live, a lot of these things will happen naturally, actually, because you're living. Don't stop living and um, invent yourself daily. Yes. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was great. 